Last week, we started looking at Psalm 23, and we covered uh, the first two and a half verses. Let's take a look at that. It's a Psalm of David, and David, yes, he was king of Israel, but before he was king, he was a shepherd. So his analogy is, he's a sheep, and the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then this is what we covered last week. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, he provides the rest that we need. And we talked about how Jesus provides rest for us. And then it says, he leads me beside still waters. And the idea there is that rushing waters are dangerous for sheep. Uh, if they fall in, their wool will get wet and they can't get out. Okay? Um, but it's also not only safety, but God provides grass and water for the sheep. The shepherd provides that. So we talked about refreshment. And of course, we talked about God feeds us his word. Okay? And then the last thing we talked about, he restores my soul. And we learned that a, a sheep, it's called... Uh, a cast sheep, a sheep who falls over and they can't turn back over. So the shepherd needs to actually turn the sheep over and he's kicking and, and so forth. And we talked about on any given Sunday the burdens that, that you bring in. You, you, your, your thinking can get off and the challenges of the world and hopefully meeting with the Lord helps restore your Okay, so we want to look at the rest of the psalm. Now, taking a text and coming up with a teaching outline is, I, I tell my students that it's, it's a science and an art. And there's a million different ways to come up with an outline for a, a text like this. And part of it is you just, you read it, and you read it, and you read and something sticks out to you. And what I noticed here is the location of the shepherd. He goes before the sheep, he walks with the sheep, and he follows after the sheep. So we're going to look at those three locations of the shepherd. And you go, wait a minute, how can one shepherd be before, with, and behind all at the same time. He's God, okay? All right. So here we go. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So he goes before the sheep for his namesake, and we'll talk about that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He walks with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. There he's behind us. All the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, Lord, as we, as we look at just how you encompass us with your presence. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would be 
comforted, drawn closer to you, challenged, encouraged. And uh, we pray that you'd be most of all glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the shepherd goes before us. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And then, these are interesting four little words. For his name's sake. Okay? But before we talk about him leading us, let's talk about those four words. For his name's sake. Um, you ever realize how many times Scripture tells us that God does something for us, but it's for his namesake? For example, First uh, Samuel 12, For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Psalm 25, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 79.9, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 31.3, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Very similar to Psalm 23. 1 John, New Testament, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Now, some people can be a little disappointed when they learn that God acts on our behalf, but ultimately it's for his glory or his namesake. All right? Are you a little disappointed that it's not because of my woolly, you know, coat that I have as a sheep? It's for, it, the, the shepherd leads us for his namesake. Well, well, don't be disappointed because he is grounding his care for us in the most unchangeable, the most certain, sure thing in the universe, which is his own passion for his own glory. Okay? He doesn't base his care for us on something as uncertain as how you're doing. Your obedience today. You don't want that because that's so fickle. You want his care for you to be based on something certain and unchangeable and that is ultimately his passion for his own namesake okay now you go explain what you're talking about well think about this god is so glorious that he has to uphold his own glory as the highest value in the universe if he didn't he would be committing idolatry to allow something else to receive more glory than him, for, first of all, it would be untrue, and, and secondly, it would be God allowing for idolatry. So he must uphold his own glory, 
And when he ties a promise to us, to that glory, to that defense of his own glory, you can be sure that that is a sure thing. Right? We want God to love us and forgive us and lead us for his namesake. Then we can have assurance. Right? I, I may have shared this illustration before, but um, this is a similar Similar situation here. So when Elizabeth and I first got married, how many years ago? 2034. It seems like only 20. (laughs) 34. So next year's 35. Where are you going to take me? (laughs) All right. right. Is it going to be Elgin? All right. So... um, we got, we got married, and our first uh, church was up in Wisconsin, Clintonville, Wisconsin, right? And we rented a little house. It's actually a pretty nice house, right? And um, one night, we went out on the back deck. It was a beautiful Wisconsin night, and the stars were there. The moon was there. There were mosquitoes as big as vultures. It was awesome, right? And um, she had this little gleam in her eye, and she said, uh, why, do I, why do you love me? How do, how do I know you'll be committed to me? Now, I was just learning not to think like a seminary nerd back then. Okay, So I took it as a theological question. Why are you committed to me? And I said, well, because I fear God and desire to obey his commandments. Well, that killed the night. (laughs) Wow. But since then, she has said, you know, while that was not the best romantic answer, that's a pretty solid thing to base a marriage on, right? If I said, well, I love you because of your hair conditioner. Or what if she said that to me? You know, it's, it's over, right? We, we don't want to base things on, on things that are just fickle. And so many people get married and you, they write their own vows. Oh, I love you because you're so beautiful. And uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's all great for, for a pop song. Basing your commitment on a vow before a holy God and the congregation is more solid, right? Well, likewise, God leads us for his namesake. Good! His name, his reputation, his defense of his own glory is the basis by which he leads us into paths of righteousness, okay? Now, um, let's talk about how he leads us okay now we could we could spend months talking about how do you know the will of god how does he lead let me just give you three quick buzzwords his son his scripture his spirit his son his scripture his spirit when it comes to his son think about this um you drive cattle Put the cattle out, and you get on your horse, and you're behind them, and you go, whoa, get on, little doggy, right? And they, you drive cattle. 
If you drive sheep, you'll scare them to death. You have to lead sheep. So the shepherd leads by going before the sheep. They follow him. You ever just step back? I mean, we can get so used to talking about Jesus being God and man. The God who created the universe became a man and he showed us how to live. He showed us what it's like to live, what it's like to love, what it's like to die, what it's like to speak truth, what it's like to be strong, what it's like to be kind. You say, how do, how do I know how to act and to live and what to choose? Live in the Gospels and get to know Jesus so well. And, and I, don't, I don't just mean... Um, you know, look up, okay, verse 14, 21 tells me how I need to act. There's, there's an ethos of just knowing Jesus, of how he would act in a situation like that. Saturate yourselves with Jesus. All right? So he's, he's given us his son. He's also given us scripture and his Holy Spirit. And I want to I, I combine those two together because without the Holy Spirit, we can't really understand Scripture. And without Scripture, sometimes we think we're being led by the Spirit, but we're way off in, in cuckoo land. Okay? So um, the Spirit and Scripture go hand. Let me, let me give you two examples Two extremes of one without the other, okay? Um, some people are always talking about God led me, God, the Spirit led me, God revealed this to me, but you look at their life and you go, if God's leading you, wouldn't you be displaying the fruit of the Spirit? You know, a sure indication that somebody's a, a submitted Christian is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness are going to be there. But God told me, and they don't display any fruit of the Spirit, yet they're getting these revelations. So here's my, my example. Now, you all know my bird stories, right, about the owls, right? I got a new bird story this week. So I... Um, how many of you listen to Yacht Rock? Yacht Rock, okay. Yes, all right. <laughs> Do you like Yacht Rock? Yeah. Yacht Rock is like mellow 70s music. And uh, it's on XM radio, but just Google, Google Yacht Rock and you'll get, you'll get Seals and Croft in America and maybe a little bit of uh, Boston and Chicago, all these locations, Kansas, right? <laughs> Breakfast in America, Super Tramp, right? All right, so um, I, I, I got it. My brother would laugh at me because he's hardcore rock and roll guy, but I love Seals and Croft. And, you know, my favorite song is Summer Breeze Makes Me Feel Fine Blowing Through the... You know, okay. Now, they have a song called Hummingbird, 
You guys know that song? Hummingbird, hummingbird don't fly away, fly away. No, 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 no. Could you play it? No. All right. <laughs> so throughout my week, I hear that song all the time. This week, I'm sitting out on the back porch. A lot of things happen on the back porch for me, okay? Sitting on the back porch, a hummingbird comes. And, and, just, and it's like they're, they float because they're, they're flapping so fast. You know, hummingbird comes and stares me in the eye, flies off. You want to know what I think God was trying to tell me? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I, don't you know Christians who would read something into, oh, the Lord was talking to... I don't, I don't think he speaks through hummingbirds. Okay? Now, the other extreme. There are those who have been taught, be careful about subjective leadings of the Lord and the revelation has stopped. And I do believe the Bible is closed. I don't think he's giving brand new biblical revelation. Okay? But I do believe the Holy Spirit convicts us and he uses scripture to open our mind and so that the Holy Spirit is living and active and inside of us. Okay? Now, I remember once we were talking to a young couple and they were in a church that said, there, there is, be careful of any subjective revelation. Subjective leading. It's just Bible, Bible, Bible. All, all, you, all the answers are in the Bible. And the, the young wife was saying, I've been scouring the Bible, looking for how many children we should have. And we, Elizabeth and I both looked at each other and we're like, I don't think that's in there. Because whatever number she finds, wouldn't that be for all of us? Shouldn't we all have the same number of children if it's in the Bible? And then I realized, this is what they're probably doing. They're not reading the Bible in the historical, grammatical, canonical. They're using it as, an, as a magic eight ball. Right? So one day she's reading and there's something about the Trinity. We should have three kids. But what if the next day she's reading about the 12 apostles? Right? And just stay out of Revelation with the 144,000. <laughs> right? The, the Bible wasn't meant to be a mystical, like, code book where what you're reading that day gives you secret messages. There are principles. Right? And the Holy Spirit helps you understand them and helps you apply them to your life. Okay? So, um, all this, the Lord leads us. He goes before us by, first of all, living. He shows us how he lived. He's given us his scripture, and he's given us his spirit. That's how he leads us. Now, let's move on to the next thing. He goes with us. Right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what's the valley of the shadow of death? Well, to, you know, to get from one green field to another, you'd have to go around the mountains and through the valleys. And a valley by nature, 
the sun is only going to be uh, directly over it showing you know, in, in a strong way for a short amount of time. Most of the time there's going to be shadows in a valley. And that's where predators would hide out. So walking through a shadowy valley is a really scary thing for a sheep. But not these sheep. They fear no evil. Why? Because their eyes are on the shepherd. And he will take care of those wolves. You know, the rod and the staff. Most people say that at least the rod was a cudgel. A wolf basher. Okay? So the sheep's like, yeah, we've seen him bashing a lot of wolves. So we're, I'm going to keep my eye on him, and I am not going to be afraid. Okay? It's kind of like this. Do any of you have dogs that freak out when the fireworks go off on the 4th of July? Right? We had, um, we had a Norwegian elk hound when I was growing up. Kept elks away for miles. Never saw an elk growing up. Never saw a Norwegian for that matter. So, um, so and this was a really cool dog. Looked like a little uh, husky. And um, one day, you know, the dog chains back before they have all these fences and things. Just, she was chained, and it was on the edge of the garage so she could go outside, but she was sleeping in the garage. One of the neighbor kids lit a string of firecrackers and threw it in the garage. So, so this dog wasn't just afraid of fire. She was terrified, like shaking Pavlovian dogish, drooling, you know, when the fireworks. But what would she do when she heard the fireworks? She'd come and snuggle up next to the owner, right? Because it's safe. The owner will protect me. Now, these sheep are so secure that, look at this. Whoop. I think I, I skipped it. All right. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My, the picture I get is the shepherd has a, 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 a red and white checkered picnic spread, a basket, and some sheep sitting around eating some Kentucky Fried, right? Surrounded by snarling wolves. And the sheep are like, eh, pass the chicken, please. I don't know that sheep eat chicken, but you know, go with the idea there. That they are so confident in the shepherd that they can eat surrounded by enemies. Okay? Now... What are our enemies, our spiritual enemies? Okay, I gave you three things on, on how God leads us, his son, his scripture, his spirit. Here are four enemies. The devil, damnation, death, and depravity or sin. Okay, and uh, those are our, our enemies that are out to destroy us. We look to the shepherd to rescue us. First of all, the devil. Okay. There is, first of all, there is a devil. There is a satanic, a, a Satan 
and a whole slew of fallen angels called demons. Okay, it's a real world. Now, here's two keys to spiritual warfare. One, realize that Satan and God are not in a dualism. A, a dualism is kind of like the force. There's the good side of the force and the bad side of the force, and they're equal. No, no, no. Satan is a created being, and God is sovereign over Satan. So can Satan hurt us? Yes. But he can only go as far as God allows. Remember the book of Job? Satan says, well, if you let me attack Job, I mean, you've protected him. You've put a hedge around him. Let me attack. And God says, okay, you can attack, but you can't touch him. He, he has protected Job, okay? Um, I, when I go jogging, I know it doesn't look like it, but I do jog through the neighborhood. And I have an interesting relationship with a number of dogs in the neighborhood. Okay. On the corner, um, I go jogging, and I have my, my earbuds in, so I'm not paying attention. And there's this dog that likes to hide around the corner and come charging out at me, barking his head off. <sighs> but I've learned that they have an invisible fence and he can only go to that invisible line. So now I've learned that I can stop and taunt him. <laughs> which I do. I bark back at him, right? And then, all right, here's the thing. Try this with your neighborhood dog, right? Just stare at him long enough, and pretty soon he'll look like, what's going on? And bop him in the head. <laughs> I do that. Um, so then I go a little bit further, and there's an actual uh, steel fence with steel wrought iron, okay? And there's two dogs. Yeah, two dogs that come chasing at One's a little dog, and he would rip my eyeballs out if he could. <laughs> but, but then there's a big dog. A big German shepherd, and he's got a big, deep voice, and he's barking and chasing me. But here's what I've learned with that big dog. If I just give him a little head fake, he goes, you know. <laughs> So I mess with the dogs in the neighborhood. If, if I'm in jail, realize the neighbors have called the cops on Pastor Brian for messing with the dogs. But I've realized... I'm really safe because of invisible fences and real fences. There's another dog that, uh, he's a little guy, and there's a big wooden fence, and he likes to jump up as I run, and I try to time my bops as I go through, right? So the, <laughs> the first point is, don't live in such utter fear of Satan and demons that you think that they're as powerful as God. They are under God's authority. Now, here's the second thing. You do have the use of Jesus' name to do spiritual warfare. Okay? Um, 
We've, we've only had a handful of encounters with demons, okay, but they're real. And um, now some, some Christians are like, oh, they're, you, you can do spiritual warfare, and they, they kind of have a sick fascination with, well, let's learn this prayer, and let's learn that prayer, and let's go after demons. Don't go after them, okay? But sometimes they manifest themselves. There's, a, there's an incident. So, so uh, our Bible study with, with the Heritage Woods people here, we're going through the book of Acts. And in Acts 16, Paul is in, where is he, Ephesus? He's in some town. I think it's Ephesus. And there's a girl who has a spirit, a demon of telling the future. And she's following Paul around saying, this man has the truth about how to be saved. And you don't really need a satanic evangelist trailing you around. What she was saying was true, but it was really annoying. So here's what happens. At this, she kept, and this she kept doing for many days, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out of her that very hour. First of all, I like the fact that it's okay to, be, to, to, to have annoyance as a motive for ministry. Okay? Um, so he's annoyed at this demon, and he doesn't go into some big elaborate, uh, you know, casting out and, and an exorcism. He just says, in the name of Jesus, Jesus has authority. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. You have no place here. You, you go, I think there's something weird going on in my house, or there's something, there's something demonic Take authority in the name of Jesus, who has authority, and say, this is Jesus' home. You have no authority. We claim this place for Jesus. Okay? So, there's a, a, a satanic enemy. Let me do these a little quicker. There's also, um, so, so the devil is an enemy. Damnation is an, an enemy. Going to hell, fearing going to hell is an enemy. And of course, we have the gospel, which is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And when you believe in him, here's the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Especially people with introspective consciences sometimes go, I don't know if I'm truly saved. I believe in Jesus with all my heart, but I don't know if I've... And, and you, you go to war. You memorize Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So damnation is an enemy. Then um, the next one would be death. Okay? Death. And, and by the way, some people take the, the, the going through the valley of the shadow of death, not just as going through danger, but actually describing us passing on in death. So what this would be saying is that when I die, 
I don't have to fear because I don't die alone. The shepherd is there with me. And the closest example we have of this is Stephen, who's stoned to death in the New Testament. But look at what he sees as he's dying. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, the the Pharisees and the, the leaders, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the stones came and killed him and he went with the Lord into heaven. The Lord went with him. Last, last thing, last enemy, is our own depravity, our own sin. And, and here's where knowing that Christ is with you can actually help you fight against sin. Paul in 1 Corinthians, which I didn't put up there, <laughs> writes this, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? So in in Corinth, you'd go to the pagan temple, and part of the service involved having sex with a prostitute. He says, wait a minute, you Christians, shall you, you're, you're, you're united to Christ, shall you unite Christ to a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. When you think about that, it's like, oh, I'm not just doing this on my own. I'm bringing Jesus into this. Try this this week as you're driving to work. Talk to Jesus who's with you. As you're about to go into that tense meeting, Talk with Jesus who's with you. As you're clicking on the internet, talk with Jesus who's with you. Okay? So, he goes before us. He goes with us. And then finally, he follows after us. Okay? Now, at some point... The metaphor changes from the Lord being a shepherd to the Lord being the host of a meal. And and we change from being sheep to now being dinner guests. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So you go, what's the, the oil all about? Do you remember... In, in Luke 7, Jesus goes to the home of a Pharisee, and the Pharisee doesn't give him the traditional greeting. The traditional greeting would be you would kiss the person, you would have um, a servant wash their feet because they've been out in the dusty roads, and then you would pour um, fragrant oil on their head. You know why? It's kind of a deodorant, Okay. That was what you did to, to guests. This Pharisee did none of it. And in walks a, a woman 
probably a prostitute, and she's been forgiven, and she falls at Jesus' feet, and she anoints his feet with oil. Her tears wet his feet. She washes his feet with her hair, and, and Jesus says to the, the, uh, the Pharisee, look how she has greeted me and treated me. You didn't, you didn't greet me with any of this. So here what this is saying is the Lord is the host. He invites you into his presence and he anoints your head with oil and, and your cup. Have you ever been to a, uh, a restaurant where um, they, they, they fill up your glass with water and you take one sip and that water person's there right, you know, it's like, let me drink about half of it. Nope, yep, they keep, the Lord keeps filling your cup till it's overflowing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So this is a picture of God the host. It's his, it's his intention, and, and the word follow it's a stronger word than just lagging, but it's he pursues me with goodness and mercy. Now you go, but that doesn't seem true to the Christian life. That, this makes it sound like it's just a big banquet all the time. And my life isn't like that. Well, I don't know that this analogy is saying it's like this all the time because there are times the sheep is walking through valleys and dry grass, and yeah, there are tough times. There are dangerous times. But there is the occasional celebration banquet, which gives you the intention that the Lord wants to follow after you and bless you. You know, when, um, when our oldest first graduated from high school, we said, all right, we're going to go out to eat. Where do you want to go? Fogo de Chow, 50 bucks a person. I go, you don't, you don't want the, the hot dog combo at the... Right. And um, <laughs> these Brazilian men walk around with sticks of beef and chicken and steak and they slice it off and you can eat and eat and eat. It's a, it's a banquet. So we're like, all right, that's over with. That's a great celebration. Well, it turns out my other kids graduated from high school too. Where do you want to go? Fogo de Chao. So then they all go to college and they graduate. Some of them went on to grad school. Some of them got married and had grad So pretty much all my money goes to Fogo de Chao, right? <laughs> But the point is, not that life in the Smith house is always fogo de chao, but the celebration shows that we love them and we want to pursue them with goodness and mercy. And then here's, here's the, the final good news. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and guess what? in the house of the Lord forever, on the other side, there's no valleys. There's no dry, brittle grass. There's no pain. 
And the, the key is you're with the Lord, your shepherd, forever. Right? Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would refresh us with this picture. Remind us that you pursue us. You walk with us. You go before us. We are not alone. We have a loving, caring, powerful shepherd. And thank you, Lord, that not only can we count on this for this life, but because of the cross, we can count on this forever. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.